The content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. Hey, everybody, we're back. This is Sissy. And this is Susan, and we are... Function Junction. Behavior Matters. Hey, Sissy, what's up? I want to talk a little bit about a couple of kids. One in particular comes to mind that really demonstrates the idea that work is play and play is work. And that's something that we say sometimes about students on the spectrum. Yeah. In particular, when we're doing teach training, you see it really quite beautifully, but you probably see it in a lot of other ways. You know, and that's so, it's so funny. You know, I try to, I was thinking about this this morning. I try, I'm trying to get away from terms like high functioning and low functioning and using terms. I read an article by a speech pathologist that used terms such as kids who have less academic needs and more social needs and kids who have needs in, in more, you know, all areas, academic, social behavior, communication. And I was thinking about those kids who need less academic support and more social and behavioral support and how, really work is play and play is work for a lot of them. And, you know, I tell teachers all the time, and I'm sure you do too, that, you know, for that group of students, I'm not worried about ABCs and one, two, threes. I'm really more worried about them being employable, you know? And so I was just kind of thinking about that concept of work is play and play is work. And it really applies to that group of kids who, you know, need less academic support and more social and behavioral. Yeah. But because when you think about academics, How we teach academics is pretty straightforward. How we teach social skills is not as straightforward. And even if we had a good straightforward way to teach social skills, people on the spectrum socialize differently. Getting that to a place where everybody can socialize together takes some creativity. But this little guy uh, was pretty young. I, I think he was maybe a first grader, I'm not sure, maybe even a kindergartner, but he came to the teach training. I knew him a little bit. I had work ready for him. I had, in teach training, we will typically have a place for kids to work independently, a place for kids to work with teacher, and a place for kids to have a little break away from us and not have to do any work. Sure. And you try to have something fun in there. You want them to get a little break and enjoy themselves. You know, obviously we try to do some group work if we can and we take them outside and, you know, it's not just work by yourself, work with a teacher, go to break, all of that. Anyway, we have people that come in and watch the kids work. The teachers come and watch the kids work and you always want things to go well. You want the kids to show good skills and show cool things and for the people to have a fun experience and learn new things. Well, my little guy would be in the play area for maybe a minute, maybe 90 seconds, and stuff would start flying out of the play area. And then he might likely try to come running out of there and run around the room. And, you know, I'm imagining all these people coming in to watch the kids work and having things fly across the room. That's not really all that great. And the concept to me came up, work is play and play is work. So knowing that and knowing he was in the play area struggling, 
I would transition him out of there over to work and that would go smoothly. He never threw anything out of the play, out of his work area, whether it was independent work or work with teacher. He never tried to run out of those areas. Right. He stayed in those areas real nicely. And so then I go in and I look at the play area. Right. And I try to think what are some toys I know he will enjoy that I could have in here. And he might enjoy a toy for just a few minutes, but not even a few, like I said, 90 seconds, maybe. And then, whing, you know, out would come the stuff. And I, I also said in a previous podcast that we really don't want to physically manage kids. You know, you don't want to grab kids. Hand over hand, play with the yeah. drum and things like that. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, I mean, if you're teaching them to write their name, to tie a shoe, that kind of stuff, you you likely will. But if they're running from the play area, you you know, just scooping them up and you know, carrying them back to the play area solves the problem momentarily, but it doesn't right. teach them how to manage themselves. Right. So here he comes running out of the play area. And he was an object level student. We used objects for his schedule. I don't know that we've talked a little bit about that, but we like kids to have a visual schedule so they can see what their day is going to be like. Sure. Yeah. If they can read, it's print. If they can understand pictures, it's photographs. He didn't show us that he understood photographs or words. So we were using objects. So he's running out of the play area. I have my little painter's apron on with some of his schedule objects in, in it so I can help him get from point A to point B pretty regularly. And he sees me coming and he falls to the floor, you know, and he closes his eyes, covers his face. And I just, yeah, I just walked over and I pulled out the object for play and the object for work. And I waited and he opened his eyes and looked and saw that he had a choice. He grabs work and goes straight to work. Do you remember what the object was that you used for work and play? Play was a ball that he could throw in one of those little mini basketball things because he kind of liked to play with balls. Uh -huh. um, obviously, he liked to throw. No, I'm joking. I didn't give him balls because he likes to throw. <laughs> um, <laughs> because, he, you know, that little basketball thing. And then other objects we use, you try to use something that's going to be real obvious and functional and kids are going to quickly get it like a cup to go to snack or a plate to go to lunch or a cap to go outside when you're, you know, to keep the sun off of your eyes. So it gets a little more difficult to do independent work and work with teacher, but I had a little clear cylinder that we had cut a hole in the top and he had some little discs and he could drop the disc in and watch it fall uh -huh. in the water. And so that was kind of intriguing for him. That was for his independent work. So he sees this little chip because that's what I give him. The water was already over at the disc oh, okay. or the ball. And he grabs a chip, runs over, drops it in and does work, you know, while he's over there. Huh. So a couple things that gives me is a pretty clear idea that, work is preferred <laughs> yeah. and play is more difficult. But also what could I put in play? If he likes to watch those little things fall, could I get some of those visual timers that have little balls that fall? I don't know. Sure. Trying to think about things like that. 
to do. So we then did focus our attention on the play area and how to beef up the play area for him. So it was a little more exciting. You don't think about having to teach someone that play is a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just thinking, you know, three plus three will always be six. A dog will always be a dog. A horse will always be a horse. A fish will always be a fish. And so for work, you know, I'm sure it had some pre-academic types of things in there, patterns and things like that, which are always going to be the same. And so, you know, for kids with autism, rote memory is really, you know, a strength for them. And then being imaginative and having to play with something. Oh my gosh. I see that all the time. I can't tell you. I remember we were doing a, uh, an ADOS on a little guy, our, our friend Gail and I were, and same thing. I mean, he did not play with anything. He threw everything at us. And, um, it, but then if you gave him a task that was structured, he was fine. Yeah. You know? So yeah, I mean, play and social skills really have to be systematically taught to our learners on the spectrum because they're just not really pre-wired for it. Right. Right. And you know, it has nothing to do with IQ. I've got a, a friend who, a former student who goes to the University of Texas in the computer science program. He functions in the genius range, but social, socializing is still really challenging for him. He cannot have a roommate um, because of some of his behaviors. And that to me should have really been a priority as he was getting through the, his educational career. But, you know, for like a lot of men, young men, the focus really was on academics and grades. And so now, is he employable? Cognitively, yeah. But socially and behaviorally, I worry about him. So it's real important to teach kids how to play, even when they're, you know, babies. Yeah, the patterns you start when they're little bitty are the patterns that they'll use and keep. Yes. And work typically has a very discreet beginning, middle, and end. Right. Very much like even if you're just doing a discreet trial, you know, it's clear beginning, middle, and end, and kids on the spectrum thrive under being able to predict what's going to happen. And their anxiety tends to get a little raised when they cannot predict what's going to happen. And open-ended social skills leave themselves wide open for that. So, you know, we did that a few times where he might throw stuff. And as he's throwing things, I would go over and again, offer, do you want to stay and play? Come work with teacher. Do you want to stay and play? Do you need to go to the bathroom? Some things to help him begin to understand. There are other ways for me to say, I'd like to come out of here. Yes. And is he consistent with that? Yes. Each time I would go and then begin to try to set up some communication systems for him to be in play. So he could take the bathroom to some, you know, the little, we would use usually hand soap is what we used because you don't want kids walking down the hallway carrying a roll of toilet paper, right? So, and you want them to wash their hands after they go to the restroom. So he could hand somebody that, or he could hand somebody the work symbol and go get his work done. Then you can begin to say, oh, I got it. You don't really want to stay in play right now, but give me two more minutes. I guess we talk about this each time is, Right. It's not always about just what you want, but once I have rapport with you, I can begin to stretch your limits a little bit and help you Absolutely. be able to. Absolutely. And then you shape the behavior, you know, you shape it out to where you get finally the, the terminal behavior that you want, but you've got to start with baby steps. And I don't know if you remember that day that we were shaping that little guy's behavior to sit with the group. He wouldn't sit with the group. And so 
We gave him his favorite toys. I don't remember what they were. Were they army men or something? But we gave him his access to his favorite items away from the group. And then, Sissy, I don't know, every few minutes we moved his desk or his chair closer to the group, closer to the group, maybe a couple of minutes at a time. And I think it was by the end of 30 or 40 minutes, he was sitting at the table with the group. But if we had just started there, we would have gotten all kinds of behavior, right? But once he realized he had access to his desired items and activities for baby steps for sitting with the group, it was really, it was one of those days I wish we had a video camera because it worked out so well. And that's the same thing you're talking about in the play area. You know, we're not going to set the time for 15 minutes, but we might set it for one or two and then go back to work. And then we do two or three and then we go back to work and then three or four. And then you shape it until you get that 15 minutes. But yeah, that's a, that's a good story. Lots of concepts discussed there. There are, uh, I was thinking about the 15 minutes. There is downtime in life. Yes. <laughs> the employability thing is, even if it's down to, can I take a break? Yep. If I can't take a break, if, if I am working at Costco and I'm one of their best people at getting stuff on the shelves and keeping it neat. And they love that about me. But when it's time for a break, I wander up and down the aisles and, and quote my favorite Disney movie. <laughs> it might be bothersome right. to people that are shopping there. And the people might say, we love him. He's great. He's the best stalker we have. He's neat and wonderful, but he's causing problems with the customers. We're going to have to let him go. I mean, that, that's, a, that's one end of the social issue, but the other end is some of our kids who have stronger academic skills that people think should be just fine. Yeah. Boy, look how smart he is. He can do, Yeah. but he can't take direction. Or get along with a coworker or know when it's okay to p- pitch an idea or know when casual Friday, you know, what casual Friday really means and lunch hour really means and all of those, you know, hidden curriculum kinds of things just make it life just really, really desperately difficult for them. And I know I may have said this on previous podcasts, but the statistics are right now, if you have a four-year college degree and are on the spectrum, the unemployment rate is 80% in the U.S. So 20% or one out of five people who have college degrees are even employed. And a lot of times the employment is way below their ability and what they should be getting paid. So a lot of times it's just part-time work and things like that. So that whole notion of play and socializing and social skills, in my opinion, really needs to be more of a priority than the academics and grades and GPAs and all of that. But what do I know? A lot. You know a lot. I have one other story that kind of connects to this. How this young man took his break, his playtime, was uh, to watch beans fall. Mm-hmm. He had had evidently some fairly challenging behaviors. This was a student that I had, and I didn't know him when his behaviors were very challenging. I knew him to be a hard worker who would take a break, play in the bean table, go back to work. Over the summer, one of the other moms came to me and said, I'd really like it if you wouldn't have the bean table in the room. And let me tell you why. <laughs> Please tell me why. What's up? They had been to the emergency room twice over the summer because her little guy had stuck the bean, a bean in her, his ear 
and not been able to get it out. She said, I, I really like to not have to go back to the emergency room. That's not a fun trip. That is not too much to ask, Mom. It's exactly what I said. That seems like a reasonable request. We will not put the bean table back up. <laughs> but when we all got back to school, my little buddy usually played in the beans was urinating and spitting on everything. Mm. And it was happening at home. It was happening at school. It was happening everywhere. Everyone was highly frustrated. And, you know, it was the very beginning of school. And I'm wondering, do I need to ask somebody to come do an FBA on this kid? What the heck is happening here? Precious, precious student that I love dearly. And we began to try to talk it through, like, when did this start up? Oh, it started up when the beans left. Oh my goodness. He was not, he wasn't trying to be difficult. He wanted to watch stuff fall. <laughs> and if we took it all away from him, he carried with him the power to create stuff he could watch fall. That's exactly right. So what I did was uh, I put the bean table in a room down the hall with the door closed <laughs> and I made sure that staff in the school in general, but certainly those of us that worked in my classroom, make sure my little fellow that put beans in his ears doesn't even know that the bean table exists. It's, sure. As far as he's concerned, it's gone. Sure. And people might say, well, that's a lot of staff to take somebody with him down there to play in the beans. I'm like, well, it was taking a lot of staff to deal with the spit in the urine all over Cleaning up everything. Yeah, sure. All the time, Colin having to call the custodians down. So we set that up and we made going to play with the beans contingent on using the toilet to, to pee and swallowing. <laughs> I mean, it sounds crazy because you usually think like, what's the function of the behavior? The function of the behavior is I want beans. He could ask for beans, but he, he was just asking for them in an odd yeah. way. And once he knew they were available again, he was fine. Yeah. So we would swallow, 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 go play with the beans, use the bathroom, go play with the beans. And then we just made beans contingent on getting your work done. Yeah, absolutely. But I love that you considered the other parent's perspective about the putting the beans in our, our ear but also recognizing that, you know, it's almost like that we tell that story a lot about, you know, the kid loves PBS kids and the teacher has a hard time getting the kid to transition away from PBS kids. So she just, no computer. We're not going to work for computer. Computer's off the, off the table. We're not, no computers in the room. And then you just take away these learning opportunities, the reinforcement opportunities, right? And so instead of just working through it, like you did with the bean table and making modifications to its location and things like that, you know, people tend to, pardon the pun, but throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? So they just, well, we're not going to, well, then now he's not going to want to learn. So I love that you really considered everybody's needs and not just his and or the one with the bean in his ear. Yeah, as long, and but like I said, I definitely wanted everyone to understand, do not let him see the bean table ever, ever, ever. Yes. <laughs> I mean, the idea, you know, I thought, oh, I don't want to have to call mom and say, oh, by the way, mm -mm. you're headed back to the emergency room. I can't get the bean out. No, no. Do we have a test question today? We do have a test question today. So in the story today with my little fella who work is play and play is work, he had a hard time being in the play area. I tried to check out what was happening in the play area 
He didn't like being in the play area through things. He did not throw things in work or at independent work or with work with teacher. I was able to check that out a few times by repeating that to see, is it always play? Does he ever have a problem in work or work with teacher? And I didn't see that. Put some practices in place to help him be able to let me know what it was that he wanted. Yeah, and in a pretty short time too, right? Wasn't it just like the course of one day? Yeah, within within a, a day, we had figured out that he wanted to do something other than play. And if we put some communication systems in place, he could do that for us. So if I am thinking about some of the assumptions of ABA, some of the, from the Cooper Heard book, is this a demonstration of A, experimentation, B, replication, C, parsimony, or D, philosophical doubt? Well, I don't think it's philosophical doubt. I do feel like you used a little bit of experimentation or experimentation. Yeah, yeah, there was some experimentation and some replication. If, But when I think about experimentation, people can't see your eyebrows, but I saw your eyebrows wrinkle over that because experimentation is carefully controlled comparison, right. and ruling in and out the dependent variables. And obviously in one day or one little right. observation, I had not been that careful. And you weren't really conducting clinical research to publish, right? Right. And so I wasn't so much concerned with replication. But parsimony is the practice of ruling out simple, logical explanations experimentally or conceptually before considering more complex or abstract explanations. Parsimony is just the most logical reason for a behavior to occur. And I think that's what you use here is parsimony. It's pretty obvious He doesn't like to play or he doesn't know how to play and he likes to work. So you were parsimonious in selecting um, your instruction. So I did not have to do serious scientific research in order to say, he doesn't like play. What can I do to help him with? We want parsimony in our life. Right. I was going to say, you know, the, in the discussion, we said having those definitions memorized is helpful. Absolutely. It wasn't careful and controlled. It wasn't, repeated across to to look at internal or external validity, but it was pretty quickly able to rule out an issue. Yeah, and you know, although we don't really use this terminology, um, I think it's very highly likely that it would be a test question. So making sure, you know, that you understand determinism, empiricism, philosophical doubt, parsimony, replication, experimentation, those are all things that you're going to need to know conceptually for life, but you'll need to know definition-wise for the test. So that was a good question, Sissy. Thank you. All right. Well, I guess we're going to wrap it up today. I think we should. Thank you for listening in today. And I hope that uh, you will rate and review us wherever you're listening to your podcasts. And we appreciate you. All right. Have a great day, everybody. Bye.